need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he can't feel his face. It's Andy Greenwald! It's actually, I can't feel the lower half of my body. <laughs> I can't wait to tell listeners why. Andy, it is uh, the Monday after Super Bowl Sunday. Are we allowed to say Super Bowl now or do we have to keep calling it the big game? Like we live in some kind of like West View of, of the world where we're not allowed to refer to it as a Super Bowl. Is that is that true? Is it trademarked? Yeah, we can get into that. Uh, it's the watch. We're going to talk a little yeah. bit about watching the Super Bowl yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the shows that were announced or pushed out during that that broadcast, and then we'll also talk Wandavision. All coming up on today's episode of the Watch. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. What's up, Monday? Hello, Andy. Hello, Kaya. Hello, world. Uh, We are... Living in a planet where Tom Brady has won a Super Bowl again. Chris, I, I think that you're looking at it the wrong way. Rather than considering this a victory for all that is smarmy and evil in the world, I think you should look at it the way I do, which is another rousing cry of, yes, we can, for white men in their 40s. <laughs> I think that finally our people are having a moment and we're taking advantage of the opportunities given to us. You know what I sure, mean? Sure, of we course. Are, we are excelling. Yeah, also uh, a victory for Daddington Island. Tom Brady, notorious dad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, in a sense, he is a hero to the dad community because I did read that he exiled his children from his home. Yeah, did you see that? He sent his kids away for 12 days before the Super Bowl. Here's the thing. I like my children. You should so start I don't... doing that for pods. But that's that's where I was going. I, I like my children, so I don't want to do that. I would miss them terribly, but I would love to have the option. You know what, what I mean? Would, what would the first pod, if you had 12 days to get ready for an episode of The Watch, what would it be like? What would you do? Uh, listeners, I was wrong. <laughs> Ted Lasso is great. I would watch all of Ozark because my first thought would be you. Thank you. Yeah, My friend. It. Yeah. You know, I would just probably... You know, I think there would be a lot more grounding to my my opinions, you know what I mean, in the sense that I would have done the work. Sure. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Super Bowl today, not necessarily as a, like, give me a read on what Todd Bowles did to stop Patrick Mahomes kind of thing, but more as a monocultural event, like one of the few things that most of America gets gets together to watch, uh, even virtually. Um, are, I just, are you sure you, our listeners don't want my medium NFL takes? Because as I was joking yesterday. Because one of the things that's been amazing <laughs> recently is you're dipping your toe back into sports punditry, but like, yes. like a true sports pundit. I don't think that you're actually watching tape. No, no, I crush no tape. Yeah. I crush no tape. And, and what like, I do... Not even crush no tape, like, re-watching games to, like, get, no. like, a granular understanding of what's happening. You're actually not watching sports. Correct. And I would say, of all the NFL games in the challenging, as I heard Roger Goodell say privately to Ciara, season that just passed, the 2020 yeah. season, that I chose only yesterday's game to watch <laughs> out of all of them. Probably means I'm not your, you know, go-to source. I, I know but, this is, it's kind of rude, but I also find it funny that you do this. And then you hit me with so many texts just being like, how did we not hire Byron Leftwich? Yeah, a guy who I definitely knew wasn't still the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, I definitely knew that he had started his coaching career and was doing great work with <laughs> It's Tom a Brady. crime. How could we not have hired this guy? <laughs> I just feel like it is my right to come off the top rope in the final quarter of football in the season. And, and and I'm frankly, I'm feeling a little limited, much like the Chiefs offense, in that I can only share these takes in a text chain with you and our buddy Matt. You're like, welcome I feel to tweet. Like, I would love to see what happened. It seems no, like no. you had a great night on Twitter last night. Twitter, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I learned on Twitter last night. America is ready to laugh again. 
You know, like that is that was my takeaway. That is this, everyone is this is, how you turn into one of the, like a comedian who just is consumed by cancel culture? <laughs> because, <laughs> like, well, you know, let's say the TV stuff dries up, you're mm-hmm. gonna need a second act or a third act, I guess. So fourth. You, fourth act. So you would basically like, could you turn into no is one knows how to over? take it? No one knows how point? to take a joke anymore. <laughs> Everyone is just having an extremely normal one on Twitter all the yeah. time. That's yeah. my takeaway. And look, I I had a good time engaging with my many fans. <laughs> I thought I, I felt a little bit like De Niro in Goodfellas when yeah. uh, Billy Bats and uh, and Joe Pesci are having their first interaction, their first conflict. And I kind of wanted to say, you insulted him a little bit. You insulted <laughs> <laughs> on, on behalf of Bruce Arians' mother, who you made a, a joke about, I wanted to kind of just be like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to joke no, with no. us. You insulted him a little bit. First of all, I did not make any jokes directed I at Mrs. Arians, who's you know, a lovely lady. You were, ta- you were making a satirical comment about the hypocrisy yeah. inherent in yesterday's gout, like, Not It's just like, are we sure about that? You know we're what not. I mean? Like we're, like, we're doing this? So, you know, he, he made... The winning Super Bowl coach, Bruce Arians, made, he made a lot of good calls yesterday. And maybe bringing his 95-year-old mother into a public place Look, maybe um, she was a in good Florida. Maybe that was another one of his many, many good calls. Um, and what was good, I thought it was a lesson for some tough love to to the online community, which is just like, it's all fun and games. But I had to assert myself and have her removed from the stadium. And because I'm laughed. passionate. Nobody thought that was funny. About health. Did you get any tweets Florida. that was like that was a really good joke? Funny that was funny stuff. First of all, you've clearly spent a lot of, a lot of time on Twitter. That is <laughs> that's almost like a macro. Like you just press a button on the reply and it's just like that's what people say to you. Right. You know, I I I I enjoy scrapping and yelling and mixing it up. What did you think of let's let's leave all that stuff behind. What did you think of the halftime show? Um and just for some little, little housekeeping, a little self-admin, I went on yeah. the uh, Ringer Music Show, Charles Holmes and Grace Spellman, and talked about the weekend last week before the, mm-hmm. before the Super Bowl. So I, I, you know, I let my feelings be known that I'm a, a big able guy from day one and that I love House of Balloons and Kissland and I don't care who knows it. I'm, I'm right there with you. We've yeah. never shared this because, you know, those albums sound best um, when you're alone <laughs> <laughs> weeping at three in the morning. Yes. Um, but... Uh, I thought the halftime show was great. Look, you know, I, I, honestly, I I was not shocked, but I was, I I kind of was like, could anyone play the halftime show? Like, w- have we been a little too limited in our scope of who can play the halftime show before this? No, no, no. We we've been we've been fairly right, I think, as a culture. I think that there's two um, categories. Mm-hmm. It's simple, but it's not easy. And I think the two categories, uh, and there are very few people who. Uh, have a little from column A and a little from column B. And the categories of column A are just, you know, next level performer in terms of just bringing the energy, putting on a good show. Mm-hmm. Column B, good singer with a lot of good songs. Yeah, catalog. Catalog. And yeah. it's not that complicated, but yes, I mean, there are increasingly limited supply of both categories, certainly, or let alone one or the other. But it was interesting. Like, I guess the weekend kind of snuck up on me as being someone who fit the bill for both. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't slip, didn't slip past those culture vultures at CBS. No, who are known, known for keeping their eyes and ears on the streets. But uh, last, the end of last year, which other people might call a month ago, um, when people were doing year end <laughs> stuff, our buddy John Caramonico was writing about the weekend and yeah, um, blinding after lights. hours, yeah. And Blinding Lights, the single being kind of the only ubiquitous cultural document of pop radio in 2020. And so it's, 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 it's treatment, you know, at award shows and things was a little bit surprising. And this was kind of like a coming out party for that dead on take. The songs were good. And he did House of Balloons. Like he did, I, I was, you know, I was popping shots and like he, he brought the old stuff too, but he wove it into a really fun tapestry. And it, you almost forgot for a moment that all of these songs are about looking dead-eyed into the face of a coke-addled Polish model at five in the morning. Like, yeah, I was, that's great. I wanted to be a fly on the wall 
in what I can only assume is a writer's room of them going through his, especially his early tracks and just yeah. being like, what's a more palatable way of saying when I'm fucked up, I'm the real me. <laughs> you know, like, like, what do we, what can we say? How can we more in a family friendly way say, I only fucked you when I'm high. I mean, has there ever been, I think there, there are only two circumstances plausibly where not being able to feel your face <laughs> is a, even like on the micro level, a good yeah. thing. One, yeah, it's, the, the time he's thinking about. Two, when you're in the stands at Lambeau and the Packers are winning like a playoff maybe game. summiting Everest, you know? Okay, right. Yeah, so Alp, Alpine when, activities. So what you're suggesting is in the jukebox musical of the weekend's career, that song will be sung by a lusty Sherpa yes. who has finally achieved his dream yes. of summiting. I think summiting is actually what most of the songs is about. It's just, you know, different different um, definitions of the term. So uh, we had the Super Bowl halftime show. We had the weekend. We also obviously have the advertisements, a lot of, of which uh, just kind of like washed over me. And I, I don't really have a lot to say about it. Did you have any ads that you wanted to shout out? This is something that I think we used to get a bigger kick out of when we were younger and more naive and, and not as, as cynical as we are now. Yeah, I mean, you know, as it turned out, <laughs> capitalism, eh, mixed bag. <laughs> so I guess I'm not as just uncritically. Turn, turns out that Mac commercial was right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's possible. It's yeah. possible. You know, that's, I guess why you we say, that's why you can't make jokes anymore. Jury's still out, I guess. But recent returns have been, you know, a little disappointing. I think that there is a special place in hell for everyone involved in the Sesame Street commercial. Okay. Um, I think that that should be preserved as a exhibit for the prosecution against humanity when galactic overlords come and put us on trial. Why don't you describe it for people who are maybe getting some, for the Kayas of the world who are, Eyeing up well, some dip at the time. It was an ad in which Hamilton star and Snowpiercer star David Diggs uh, is... That's quite a resume. En ...enjoying a day, uh, hanging out on Sesame Street. Uh-huh. And he and his Muppet pals, Big Bird, Grover, you know, you don't, don't make me, don't make me do the roll call. Uh, Staller and Waldorf Muppets, right? Well, all... Sesame Street characters are technically Muppets because they are puppets made by the Jim Henson Company. Are they? Yeah, it's kind of like how... So like the Dark Crystal are Muppets? You could say that. It's in the same way that like all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. You know what I mean? It's like a oh, regional yeah, thing. yeah, for sure. It's like who, okay. who made it. Now <laughs> we're putting in terms you understand. <laughs> yeah. So they are celebrating... Dark Crystal, local... not something we talk about a lot anymore. I'm still... I'm really... That really disturbed me, that movie. I can't think about those weird melty faces. It's just really not great. Um, so they're celebrating the local artisans and, and uh, I guess, restaurateurs of the Sesame Street neighborhood. Uh -huh. And they're singing and rapping and they're having a good time. And they're like, isn't this great that we can celebrate our fictional community through the wage-busting corporate parasitic devil company DoorDash. <laughs> it's like, I just want to know, like, what was the flagpole that it got run up at, at Sesame Workshop where they were like, how to really pivot Oscar the Grouch for a new generation? It's just like, make sure he's ordering food from a third-party app <laughs> that is sucking the profits out of our community. That's what's really garbage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, Generally, what has happened with Super Bowl commercials, and I, to your point, I am, I am not yearning for the halcyon days of the '80s when commercials were pure. I mean, you see one Clydesdale, you, you've seen them all. But the weird, like uh, quadrant triangulation of like we need one thing from here, one thing from here, one thing from here, yeah, and like now we gotta have a meme. We gotta have something right. about how we're gonna persevere past the pandy. You know, yeah, and then it's, yeah. It, but it's just like, who who at DoorDash is like, get me Sesame Street? And more importantly, who at Sesame Street is like, we got to get in front of the kids. You know what I mean? Like, we got we to gotta make Sesame Street cool again. And then um, they're like, look, get to V Diggs. I mean, it's the same thing with the McConaughey ad, which is like, I guess I know why McConaughey did it. Because McConaughey likes to have a good time. I'm sure he likes Doritos because everybody likes Doritos. It's not that controversial a statement. What I want to know about 
in the Dorito commercial was Mindy Kaling and Jimmy Kimmel's participation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what is the going rate for the B-plot cast in one of these commercials? Like like Aquafina and Keenan in yes. the Will Ferrell commercial. The Will Ferrell a commercial one. I enjoyed. I did enjoy that commercial. Yeah. Um, that one, I was at least like, I would like to there. know if, if our Scandinavian brothers and sisters thought it was funny. Oh, they can't take a joke anymore. I'm going to tweet that. <laughs> um, that was funny, not only because Will Ferrell is generally funny and his energy is always, you know, f funny in that way, but... I, you could you could see the argument. They were like, come do this car commercial because this car company is going to make electric cars now. Yeah. Okay. Great. That that fits everyone's desires, I guess. And I, I suppose that's what Timmy Chalamet said also. When he did the, the Edward Scissorhands joint? I don't... I, okay. I'm going to cede you the floor to explain this to me. But did this all feel a little pandemonium in the sense that like no one is in an office anymore and so yeah, the guy well, who's like building up strength that. to be like this is a bad idea he was muted on zoom and so all these ads happened I, I feel like that was definitely the Mila Kunis Ashton Kutcher shaggy ad was like uh, somebody mm -hmm. pitched that in a state of absolute delirium and like <laughs> other people were just like looking at um like FanDuel odds or something and like we're busy yeah. doing other shit and we're like yeah yeah for sure no Shaggy is definitely still popping and like they did like an, a 2011 meme as a like a 10 million dollar commercial but yeah you're right I don't think that there was a lot of like um, audience testing with some of this stuff I, 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 I should also say this won't be foreign to a lot of people but who watch the game or who are listening to the podcast but my experience watching the game, um, obviously, no parties this year. So I was watching, I, well, let me put it this way. I was in the room with the television on with my daughters mm -hmm. who were, uh, one was reading and one was playing keep a balloon afloat game. <laughs> and every few seconds they would say, when do the ads come back on? <laughs> and, they, and, then, and then the best thing is like, you know, the, a field goal would be kicked. And then they do that little like, Dun, 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 and they were montage. like, oh, is it over? Yeah. And I'd say, a commercial is coming. And they would look at me like I was fucking Nostradamus. <laughs> They're like, how do you know that? <laughs> and it was amazing because, of course, we, we have watched yes. decades of football yeah. games. We, we know, know when the music is playing when a guy has a compound fracture and they have to go to commercial. But they don't know that. So I was really dazzling them That's with cool. that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Did that, you know, I know that your, your kids recently decided they were Lakers fans. Did they get yes. super into Brady? Instantly, they were like, who are the teams? And I was like, this team is Tampa Bay, and this team is the team that won last year. And they were like, which team do you like? And now I know it's that if I had said yeah. something, with, but I didn't. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> you know what I tried out on them? <laughs> I said, I'm just rooting for a good game. And they were like, we're rooting they, for a bad game? They were like, blink, blink, we're rooting for TB. They didn't know that was both the quarterback and the city. Yeah. They just saw on the screen it said TB. So... But then when the commercials came on, they're generally pro anything moving on the screen. So they were watching, you know, but <laughs> so they liked the ad, for example, the TurboTax ad where the tax collector's desks move through the world like a like, oh, like yeah. a herd yeah. of, of wild horses. They liked that. But then there was the ad where it was just like Gwen Stefani asking Adam Levine for dating yeah, advice. Yeah, her 5G broke down and that's how she wound up married to Blake Shelton. And so they were very confused by that. And then right. I had to kind of, and then I caught myself being like, she is a well-established pop singer of the last two decades and he is a country singer and they met improbably hosting a, re what am I doing? Did you, did you sad go for? all the way back to talking about Razorblade Suitcase by Bush? I wanted to very very much because longtime listeners know that that is a a seminal text in our relationship <laughs> sure. because we bonded not just as people who wanted to talk about record reviews but we wanted to talk about the only positive reviews for bush's single swallowed which is a great song yeah so all of that is to say we are definitely just like through the looking glass here like these and in fact, this is a theme for the for our whole show. I, this is going to come up again when we talk about WandaVision, which is just we've reached this weird dead-end cultural space where everything is just about itself. Yes. And there's an Edward Scissorhands commercial that I guess is for people who remember Edward Scissorhands fondly, which is us and up. You know what I mean? I don't... Kaya, correct me if I'm wrong. Kaya, is Edward Scissorhands an important film for you? For the non-CD generation? 
Yeah, I love that movie. Whoa, oh. Kyra, okay. curveball. I'm wrong. Thank God you're here. <laughs> I can still surprise you guys. This is my version of crushing tape. I went to the source. <laughs> okay, I take it back. Stand corrected. This is a good segue to talk about a couple of the other rollouts that happened during the Super Bowl. And you know, some of the stuff was announced beforehand or was aired online beforehand, but eventually started rolling out during the Super Bowl. So the big thing was CBS used the the platform of the Super Bowl yes. uh, to, to roll out in a big way, Paramount Plus, which is their, you know, the, the parent company, Paramount, is uh, launching on March 5th, I believe. It is going to have some, but not all, of the important CBS products. You know, like, I think that Paramount Plus will be a really interesting window into the complicated nature of who owns what in Hollywood. Big Bang yeah, Theory well. is on HBO Max. Uh, you know, Yellowstone, which is probably Paramount Plus's or Paramount's network's biggest uh, title, and Taylor Sheridan is their sort of biggest creator. That actually is on Peacock for now. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's going to be on Peacock, but it's on there for now. The big, you know, they they had these very sort of weird ads uh, with Bryson DeChambeau and D- Spock from Star Trek and Nora O'Donnell and some animated people. Uh, the patron saint of this podcast, summiting. A mountain, like she right. couldn't feel her face. Christine Baranski looking <laughs> yes. great. Yes, they had a, a series coat. of ads of like these sort of uh, gr- groups of people, which really spoke to, I think, both the breadth and the bizarreness of the offering on hand for for Paramount Plus, where it's like it's Snooky, it's Christine Baranski, it's it's golf, it's also March Madness and Champions League, um, and which doesn't make it that much different than Peacock. I just think it's just because it's late arriving, it winds up feeling a little strange. I did want to talk a little bit about the Yellowstone thing. So they also announced, which I think is like their first big original content announcement, is that there will be a Yellowstone prequel called Y1883, which will be on Paramount+. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we obviously have talked a lot about like the power of intellectual property and how all of storytelling now is essentially mining something that already exists mm-hmm to derive any other value from it. Not mad at this, honestly. It kind of depends on how much Taylor Sheridan is involved. I do think that he's the difference maker in Yellowstone along with Costner. I I actually like, really, really like Yellowstone. So I I can talk about that at some other point. But I'm fine if they want to make an authentic Western uh, set in Montana in the late late Sounds a little lonesome dovey. It does. I mean, I don't think they really go anywhere. I think they just established this ranch. So it's probably not... A train, but maybe it will be. If it is, lone, if it is lonesome, dovey in the ter- in terms of it being a cattle train, I still don't think it'll have like that sense of humor and sort of romance because that doesn't really exist so 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 much in Taylor Sheridan's universe. But um, any thoughts on on why eighteen eighty three as a longtime Yellowstone watcher? Thank you. Um, have you in, watched? Did you ever watch the in, pilot for Yellowstone? In the five weeks since my children have been living elsewhere. <laughs> I have watched every episode multiple times, yes. and I, I'm ready to share my conclusions. No, I've not watched it. I should. Um, not going to stop me from having an opinion. That's what I love um, about you. That's what I'm here for. The I don't. By the way, just to correct, I think the first big Paramount Plus original content announcement was the making of the Godfather miniseries, which that is somewhat uh, Hammer <laughs> little, has, uh, little upended exited. right now. So. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I I have to say, I will fold my take on the prequel to a show I haven't watched into my larger response to Paramount Plus, which is, and it seems to be actually kind of um, not the conventional wisdom. I thought all this seemed pretty fine and smart. I mean, in that, for the Yellowstone thing, as you said, what's working for us? Let's do more of it. Yeah, right. And particularly, let's do more of it because, as you mentioned also, they don't have the rights to their biggest hit show currently, mm-hmm. which has to be uh, annoying to them. I mean, it's probably Peacock's biggest hit, um, and that comes. And Sheridan from currently has the, he has Yellowstone, which is on Paramount. It's streaming on Peacock. He also has an HBO Max movie coming soon, and obviously a Warner Brothers movie. But it's called "Those Who Wish Me Dead" with Angelina Jolie, and that's I think in April. So it's like he's he's busy. It was good for them to lock him up. I think he is he is somebody yes. who is very brand defining for them to the extent that that matters. We should say to explain to people like the fact that Paramount Network's biggest hit is on a rival company streaming service speaks to the type of culture that was encouraged with the development of these uh, streaming services and in-house studios pretty much up until last year. 
mm-hmm. which is to say that they were each piece of a larger corporate empire were essentially empowered to be their own fiefdoms and operate independently, partly to help with the optics that it's not just two hands shaking each other within yes. the ecosystems of these companies, even though some, increasingly there, that there was, was the some case. like secondary value to be derived from it, right? Like yes. by, like selling these things off. Exactly. The Paramount Paramount Studio that makes Yellowstone, when it was time to sell the second window to the show, to a show they had sold its first window to already, and the first window went to Paramount Network, put it on the open market. And I'm I don't know the details at all, but essentially you could boil it down to Peacock outbid whether it was CBS All Access then or whatever the concern was in-house to get the rights for a certain amount of time. I think part of the restructuring that's hit Hollywood has been to address that. And things are going to become a lot more siloed going forward and the Taylor Sheridan deal is is proof of that. In terms of the whole thing for Paramount Plus, I will say, smallest sample size anecdotally, it worked in my house because both my children saw Paw Patrol on Mount Paramount. So Is that the character that Bryson DeChambeau hits a five iron and knocks his, his arm off? No, Paw Patrol is a group no, in the ad. of puppies. Yeah. But cartoon the, puppies. Okay. Not puppets. No, I know. Muppets. But in the commercial, isn't yeah. there like a cartoon character and Bryson DeChambeau hits, hits the golf club really hard? Is Bryson DeChambeau a golfer? Yeah, man. Don't you know about this guy? Let me Look me in the eye on Zoom. He's the mad no. scientist. Yeah. No, I don't. You <laughs> save that for your group chat with Tim Simons. I, got, I, I want no piece of this. Okay. Um, one day... One day I will summit and I will regain feeling in my face and I will declaim Paw Patrol and I will take it apart with the level of critical surgical skill I have not displayed in over half a decade. But now is not that time. Um, that's your comeback t- tour? <laughs> that's my fifth or sixth act. Okay. I'm the guy who tells you why the kids' shows are bad. <laughs> After you get canceled into oblivion, the way no, you... Re- no, no, no. <laughs> there is a big marketplace for someone talking to other parents being like, you're not wrong. This sucks. Right. Okay. But but Bluey is great. Uh, so, I thought it was interesting but, but, that they're doing this. Oh, no, God. You're going to talk about Paw Patrol? my main point is just, no, no, for real, just the Paramount Plus thing. There's a lot weird here, as you said. It's just a grab bag of stuff that they expect you, other a whole audience to now pay for. A mountain of content, uh, they say. Two, as with... Other companies, they've, they've faced this, how are we going to rebrand ourselves for the streaming age and found very few good choices. You know, I, I don't know that the Paramount brand means necessarily more than the CBS brand. I guess it's considered bigger, you know, in the same way that HBO Max is this mishmash where they could have been Warner Max, but what's Warner? And so then, anyway, there are no good choices here. So they, basically, this is a rebrand with some extra stuff of CBS All Access, which will be folded into it. The only point I wanted to say was their play was the right one, which is to say, here are seven things that you medium like a lot Mm -hmm. and you will want to have them. They can't say we have one killer app that you need. They cannot say we have the new Star uh, Star Wars show like Disney can, for example. So that said, when you saw, I mean, it was hokey, but the avatars of their future success that they gathered for these ads, whether it's Jeff Probst or Patrick Stewart, like, yeah, these are TV people. These are mm-hmm. people I want to see. It, I thought it was an effective campaign. I did too. Um, the Yellowstone thing, I thought, just one last note on it, it was also announced recently, Stephen Knight, who is the creator of Peaky Blinders, as well as a, a really prolific screenwriter that I like a lot. Was well, talking, uh, what movie did he write, Chris? Write and direct? Uh, it involved a poor? Lock. Yeah. Get the poor right. He was talking about this Peaky Blinders, this final season of Peaky Blinders, which will lead into a feature film which will tie up the series and also launch spinoffs. And I was like, that almost feels old school. Like, not that we have ever really successfully done the, the um, TV screen to big screen back to TV screen leap. Although, you know, I think Breaking Bad tried that with El Camino and we've seen mm-hmm. it, you know, attempted a couple of times. And there's a Sopranos prequel coming that was supposed to be big screen, but now we'll be streaming uh, Many Saints of, of Newark. But, you know, Stephen Knight being like, here's like the sort of three to five year plan of ending Peaky Blinders, doing a Peaky Blinders feature, and then launching some Peaky Blinders spinoffs wherever that takes them. I was like, can't you guys just do, like, just start the spinoffs? I mean, like, pandemic aside, like all that other stuff, but like, don't tell me what's going to happen in five years and just like make me wait. Whereas like Yellowstone, I think they're kind of like, the iron's hot. This is how we're going to launch this as like Kevin Costner wandering in a field thinking about the past 
And then ne- <laughs> next thing we know, it's back in the 19th century. And we're, we're golden. And we're just going to make fucking Yellowstone twice. Do you know that if they never went to flashback and it was just an hour of Kevin Costner in a field Oh my god, can you imagine jacket? how it would be popular? so highly rated? It would be so well, yeah, I know. So many people would watch that. Um, so that was that was just my only thought. I do you want to talk a little bit about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailer yes. before we get into WandaVision? I do. Yeah. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. This show uh looks like it's bad boys. That's what they're doing. And that's yeah. good. I think that's good. I think it's fine. I think it's fine, but my my I mean it's not hot, but it's not cold take. Uh-huh. Is the pandemic did Feige a favor. That's my take. Let me hear it. WandaVision, it is better for the brand long-term. Clearly, there was some jitters whether it's been good short-term for their push into television and onto Disney+. Plus. But better for the brand long-term to have something that was formally interesting, slightly surprising, and unexpected launch it. Whereas this feels, I'm sure it's going to be entertaining. I'm 100% going to watch it with you. But it feels like the safest possible thing you could do to transition an action movie franchise to the small screen. Yes. So we could kind of start to talk about Wanda here too. I, I For one one thing I wanted to mention is that they really foreground the action in this trailer. Like it's a it, lot it was a Super of ass Bowl kicking. Act. Yeah, and it's a lot of like jumping under a truck and kicking ass and just people getting kicked into buildings and then having like funny one-liners after it. And it really brings into focus how little action there is in WandaVision. You know, it's just how this is completely uh, devoid of really, not set pieces, because I think that there are some cool special effects and there's some like larger scale stuff, but there is no action per se so far in WandaVision. And when you go back and you watch those movies, you realize how much of the, um, the running time of those films is taken up by these. Personally, I find really sort of, inert action sequences so it's Mm -hmm. for me a little bit not a not a cause for concern because i think i i like sebastian stan anthony mackie it's a little bit like i don't know how much i want to watch these guys like punch one another and punch other people just without any consequences and just be like oh i got thrown off a building but oh i took the elevator down fast well how we obviously this is total speculation but like how many What's the percentage you think of the show that is what we saw in well, the Okay, trailer? do you want to watch a uh, Bucky and uh, Falcon show that is not action? Do you want to watch those guys? I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. I'm not sure I want to watch a Bucky and Falcon show <laughs> at all. You know, and, and this, is the, this is the challenge, right? Like, we have been... But Zeno's back! Oh my God, wait. Can I find that quote that I sent you? Yeah. Um, this is from Daniel Brühl's Wikipedia page. Is that where this is from? No, this is from the Wikipedia page for the show, for okay. the Falcon Winter Soldier trailer, which I am bragging about just to prove that I have, you know, I occasionally dabble in research. But so it's describing the characters and it's Daniel Brühl, is Brühl back, as you said, playing the much beloved role of Baron Helmut Zemo, who I'm sure a majority of Marvel fans can remember his participation in such films as Captain America Civil War. Yeah. But it says here, Zemo wears his traditional purple mask from the comics in the series which he was not depicted with in Civil War. Seeing the mask made Brule, quote, very happy and enthusiastic. Brule was, quote, incredibly thrilled to return to the character in the MCU, stating it, quote, felt common and known from the work on Civil War, but also, quote, something completely new and completely fresh. And I want to devote this all, is like not when all, a, a portion soccer, of this podcast. This is like when a Premier League player gets transferred to, like, uh, like Fenerbahce in Istanbul, and you're just like, look, man, it's for the money, but like, go ahead and be like, you're excited about the project. I want to devote a segment of this podcast going forward to just lifting up and celebrating the quote machine of a mid-level actor as he's asked once again to explain why he's chosen a life of six-figure paychecks and security. Right. This shit is life-changing for these people. That's great. But don't fucking come to me and be like, Ah, finally. All that was missing from my performance last time want, was the opportunity to wear Daniel a purple Brule mask. Do? do you want Daniel Brule to be like, I'm doing Inglorious Bastards karaoke and I'm doomed to do that for the rest of my English-speaking no, life? I'm saying he genuinely is thrilled. Uh-huh. I'm saying he should be thrilled. 
he should succeed. He should have this opportunity. He can do one for them, one for him, whatever. I don't care. This is great. I'm glad he's doing this. But the fact that he has to dutifully go to San Diego, and I mean that metaphorically because no one's going anywhere anymore, and be like, the only thing missing was the opportunity to wear Zemo's trademark purple (laughs) mask. You know what? My guy can pay off his student loan. This fucking DoorDash ad really radicalized you. (laughs) Did don't don't you fucking touch Grover? Um, So yeah, I mean, we have been sort of championing Wandavision for seeing characters that were not uh, that did not have much space or not much room to grow in the movies, and 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 blowing it out and and exploring who they are, what makes them tick, et cetera. This is essentially the same thing. I mean, the TV shows are the opportunity to do the story spackle that they can't do in the movies. And in this case, it's the two people whose lives and superhero careers are defined by Captain America, Steve Rogers. Now, now what do they do? Right. They don't necessarily like each other. That's what I really want. There's a quick shot in that trailer where I think, um, uh, the Falcon throws the shield and it comes back and like Bucky grabs it. And yeah. it, there's like a moment where they're like, who's, who's going to hold this thing? And I, I think that's really interesting. Like these two secondary characters grappling with like who might step up and be, be the lead quote unquote. And, and also the fact that like Bucky is a murderer and, you know, killed Tony Stark's parents and everything. So like he, he still has a little bit of baggage going into this one. Right. Like I know he got he got absolved of all of that and like is like just like chilling in Wakanda and everything, but like he probably can't be Captain America, right? Like that's why didn't DC ever make the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents a superhero too, dude? You know Snyder's just like fuck. You know Zack Snyder is listening to the watch and he's like, what we need is an Um, origin story about the guy who kills Bruce Wayne's dad. (laughs) It starts with uh, anyway the. I, I guess the thing, just he's in terms a door of DoorDash driver, <laughs> he's, he's so just he's just trying to make a buck. Most people don't click tip; they don't realize you have to add it. Yeah, um, he's out at Wayne Manor. Manor, yeah, yeah, exactly. I got a order of hot wings at Wayne Manor. Do I just drive up to the gate? Um, from a comic book perspective, which I know people love, what is kind of interesting is what you we pointed out. There are three characters in this miniseries who in the comics have been at various times Captain America, uh, Bucky, Sam Wilson, Falcon, and also our boy Wyatt Russell's character. Yeah. Who we is see introduced in, in this. I didn't, I don't think so. Um, okay. He plays a character who was introduced in the 80s as, and you'll love this name, I, U.S. I agent. Love. That's it? U.S. agent. And, he, and then and he wore a black Captain America costume and he was like a, he was a like government controlled Captain America. I think this was, this is when Captain America uh, went rogue and bought a motorcycle and just drove into the American heartland and started painting. Um, this is true. This, this happened. Yes. Yeah, so Steve they Rogers went was and like, got like a, like a Blackwater guy to like, just be the yes. real, like Captain America. Yes. They were, Steve Rogers became disillusioned with, uh, with America uh-huh. in the eighties. This is some pretty heady stuff. And I'm not kidding. He drove away on a motorcycle and like went to diners and like painted. He must be taking shit. the the loss of George Schultz pretty pretty heavy. <laughs> well, he thought that in retrospect, Schultz was a more stable presence than Casper Weinberger. Uh-huh. I think that was that was Captain America Annual eighteen from nineteen eighty six that really explicated that right before the Serpent Society took over. And so U.S. agent, and then he was wearing like a black costume. And then he was known as the Captain. And then he became Captain America for a while. Anyway, so that they are going to get into all that stuff, probably a good segue because increasingly all of this Marvel stuff is becoming about what comic book stories yes. it could be. And, and before we make the full pivot to WandaVision, I had this one observation to hit you with, which is this is finally coming full circle because the thing that took over Star Wars fandom and defined Star Wars in the last two decades of existence. This idea of, well, what is this connected to? Mm-hmm. Who's really behind this? What is Snoke? Why is Palpatine, you know, cloned across generations and what's its connection? This is the creeping, metastasizing tendrils of comic bookism taking over 
all franchises. I, everything's coming wasn't... up you. Hold on a second. I want to get into this, but let's stop and let's do a quick break and we'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So you're saying that this is now increasingly like we, what we thought was just like the bare bones source material, you know, the, the sort of the vault people use to get onto the big screen. And then it was going to go in all these different directions and auteurs might come in and infuse these movies and these shows with their own sensibilities. It's essentially, we are adapting comic books and that there is this treasure trove of these comic storylines. And what is really interesting for you or for many people is not necessarily what they are seeing on screen, but how the surgery is being done to resurrect these, these storylines from the eighties from whenever. Yes and no. Okay. I wanted to say that, like, if you look at Star Wars as originally conceived, one guy had this idea for this nine-part story about the Skywalker family, right? right? And then it would that would be the story. It would be the beginning, the middle, and the end. And, of course, he started with the middle, and we all know what happened next. Um, now, Star Wars fandom is almost entirely fueled by what's next, what does it mean, what's the connection? And even the, you know— the conversation of the Mandalorian, which we enjoy being a part of very much, is it's possible still to watch it as a episodic A team of the week kind of thing. No, but it's completely but really, changed in the second season. It right. But really, changed. it's like we need Mallory to come explain why everyone wants to see Ezra appear and, and what I would does argue, this mean going forward. I would this argue is that the Mandalorian got way bigger in the second season, but strangely also smaller because. It became bigger because it was like, well, shit, Luke Skywalker's in this. Luke Skywalker's one of like the five most popular fictional characters of the last 40 years. That's huge. But on the other hand, it is now limited to your engagement with Star Wars canon. Like your love of the Mandalorian depends on your love of what happened on the outer rim or where did Luke Skywalker go after this movie or where did this person, are there more Yodas? Rather than oh, this is a cool like samurai sci-fi Western, you know, and I can just watch it every week and, and I don't feel the compulsion to it for it to be something more than that. And, and what I'm saying is that is what Star Wars has become. And what I'm saying is Marvel is now entering into the multi-medium space where Star Wars has been for a short time and basically saying, hold my blue milk because comic books were born for this. Mm-hmm. It's not like as it is with Star Wars, where you kind of have to jury rig in the background, like, oh, well, that's the father of this and the origin of this, and these books are canon, and then there was a cartoon series that we're now treating as more important than the movies that got made 20 years ago. Comic books are saying, we've been literally doing only this for 60 years. We are a never-ending Ouroboros of story that just feeds on itself constantly, constantly, constantly. And so now we get to this point with the Marvel series, and, you know, I as we get into this conversation of WandaVision, I am totally torn because mm-hmm. do you remember sorry small digression do you remember that monty python sketch where the guy's just like i would like to answer the question in two ways one in my normal voice and the second way in a sort of uh, yes. silly high-pitched whine yes that's what i'm gonna do i will engage with this episode of wandavision and wandavision as a whole as a fan who absolutely enjoyed the fifth episode and everything that it suggested and blah blah, blah. but i will also say that i'm starting to feel like, this is a very, very uh, existentially empty project in circling the drain. Yeah. In that, th- especially the show, which is about signifying popular television shows of our youth for no real purpose, and then recycling corporate IP shenanigans for the enjoyment of people who can tweet about it later. And, you know, the, I don't actually think the show, 
it's not that it's not interested. I think no, no, everyone no. involved I, is I know good what you're faith. Saying. Yes. But what I mean is the show does not have the space in terms of its artistic purview or its corporate purview to actually be about a woman so broken by grief that she has created a family because for herself we don't and barricaded know who the herself fuck this the person is because she's not like this isn't her character. Like I Elizabeth Olsen's doing great work on this show. Paul Bettany is doing great work on this show. Catherine Hahn in her limited playing time is doing great work on this show. It looks cool. It's got interesting ideas. I think that the stuff happening inside this Wanda bubble and outside the Wanda bubble is both compelling. Yet, I feel nothing when I watch it. I feel nothing. Like, I don't have any emotional connection to Wanda, Wanda Maximoff. She was a tertiary character in my experience of the Marvel movies. Like, I was just kind of like, why did they introduce and, these two and, new and characters? That's generous. Like, yes. Doctor Strange is a tertiary character. You know what I mean? Right. But she, no, but here's the thing. So, I had all these plans this weekend. I was going to, like, watch Criterion movies. I was going to read a lot. I was going to do all this stuff, huh. right? And on Friday, I watched WandaVision. And I, and I, like I said, like, I got through it and I was just like, like, straight neutral, not even in a bad way. I was just like, Neutral. Some and spoilers for this episode. So obviously Evan Peters comes reprising his role of Quicksilver from the X-Men movies, which then obviously triggers a ton of conversations about are we in a is Wanda creating a multiverse? Is Wanda creating mutants, whatever she's doing? And we get into like all these different permutations. And I, I still was just like, okay. And then I saw Jason Concepcion, our buddy, tweet. They're doing House of M now, and or, then or I House of M in reverse or something or whatever, and the fucking floor f- like dropped out, and I and the next thing I knew it was like twelve thirty, <laughs> and I had watched Age of Ultron o- again, and was on like fucking deep wikis and message boards reconstructing House of M and trying to figure out whether or not Deadpool or Magneto is going to show up in Wandavision in the next couple of weeks or something. So like this is what they do. This is not like a traditional experience where you sit down and you watch Terrence Malick movie and you just fucking start crying because wheat blows in the wind. You watch something and it basically lassos you and pulls you in so that you are now addicted to understanding something that is not that hard to understand. But it does require a degree of scholarship. It does require like if you want to actually enjoy this stuff, quote unquote, you need to then go and find out all the different permutations of what they're talking about. And you can start finding out, oh, I can go on the Marvel app and I can buy House of M and I can buy this and I can start looking at what they're doing and where this is going. And on a personal level, I found it kind of entertaining to go back and watch Ultron and uh, Captain America Civil War and a couple of other movies and just kind of be like, did they know they were going to do this before the Fox purchase before Disney Plus had been announced? Did they know that somewhere down the line they were going to be able to start talking about the X-Men at some point? I don't know, but it's really fascinating to watch it through that lens. I just couldn't believe that, like, unlike most other TV, which is like, I like these characters, I need to know what happens to them, and I like what it's making me feel about the world. I have none of that with this stuff. I have none of that with WandaVision. It's only a puzzle. It's not there. I mean, that's one of the reasons why this is a triumph, but I don't think it's a triumph in the artistic way that we often discuss. I don't think, I mean, sorry to be Martin Scorsese here. I'm not saying these things aren't cinema, but no, these- No, that's like, Martin Scorsese, but, when you ask him about these, like he's like, it's fine. Yeah, it's not designed to get a artistic response in the traditional sense. Ultimately, the best that they can achieve is a feeling of total pleasure, which by the way, do not discount, matters is oh, important. I had a really good Friday. And, Let me be clear. Yeah, no, exactly. I enjoyed but the also, shit out of myself. Yeah. But also, you know, I know it's sort of become a joke, but like the, the, the you know, the, the YouTube clips of people in theaters celebrating at the end of Endgame, to build something that people care that much about is yeah. worthy of celebration and note, but it's celebrating itself and your own investment in it and the return on the reward. So, and and by the way, we I will, I'll put on my, my uh, I don't know, nerd glasses and explain everything that we just said in terms of like why there were two Quicksilvers and also House of M, but in a moment. But these projects can only be the, you know, shadow designed version of the thing. They can't be the thing itself. They just, I just don't think they can be for any number of reasons, which isn't to say that comic books themselves aren't capable of it. I would really encourage everyone listening who hasn't done it to 
go and read the writer Tom King, the artist Gabriel Walta's vision series from 2015. Mm-hmm. It is a contained 12-part miniseries. I, I, is it the best comic book of this century so far? Maybe. It is so disturbing. It is so profoundly sad and beautiful. And it gets at this idea at the heart of the character of Vision, which is that he's not real. He's not alive. And what does that mean? And for people who want to find a reason to watch it, uh, to read it because they're watching the show, the Visions, not Scarlet Witch, but a wife and family he builds for himself in the series, have a dog named Sparky. So that's a little nod to it mm-hmm. from this. Those com- But that comic book was also a beautiful self-contained thing. And as soon as it was done, Tom King left. And then Viv Vision, the daughter character that they created, is now on the superhero team champions and all the pathos has been stripped from it. And it just, the, the great work goes on. That's just the nature of, of this stuff. And I, I, I do think that this was the one, this episode for me was the one where I just felt, I agree with you, I kind of felt a, a, a very, very calming nothing. Partly because... I'm like, I, I, I am in awe of how much work they did to make such a wonderful family ties slash full house opening credits. Like that's so yes. fun and yeah. cool. Yes. It doesn't mean anything. It's not about anything. And then ultimately the end of the episode, you know, I know most people spend their WandaVision viewing desperately wondering which character is Mephisto. I mean, what is this world? What is this? What are these people done to us as a people? But two, what everyone is ooing and eyeing and celebrating is the result of corporate brinksmanship, right? Like everyone is like, oh, hooray, the Disney acquisition of Fox has netted something positive on my screen. And I was like, with them, I was like, from a purely corporate modern franchise management standpoint, this is exemplary, huzzah. Mm -hmm. But what am I cheering? So, but let's rewind it to say, for people who don't know, comic book movie 101 And if you want to keep going along in this journey without knowing any of this stuff and you just find on a week-to-week basis whatever WandaVision serves up to you is enough, then stop listening because obviously we're going to talk about where it could go, right? Yes. Well, also I want it's, to explain though why we're even spoilers. here. spoilers. Yeah, right. Before we get in the House of M stuff, why are there two Quicksilvers and why are there two Scarlet Witches? And the reason is is because Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were introduced, are famous for being Avengers. Mm-hmm. They, were the, they joined the Avengers early on in the Avengers comic book much like with the Joss Whedon movies, they were the first characters to join the Avengers who weren't part of the original Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, Captain America group. But that's not that wasn't their first appearance. Their first appearance was in the X-Men comics, also in the early 60s, where they were introduced as the villainous children of Magneto. Of Magneto, right. And they were mutants. So when the time came to make movies about all this stuff, they looked in the legalese, and there was a point of contention. Because Marvel had retained the rights to the Avengers characters, but had licensed the rights to the X-Men characters to Fox. For as long as Fox uh, kept making movies of in that world, they controlled all the rights. And both companies felt they had a decent claim on Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And so they both took- But the Fox movies only ever used Quicksilver, right? They didn't use Scarlet Witch. Yes. Right? And Although I guess- there's like a deleted scene in an X-Men movie where it might be Scarlet Witch or something. I, I lost the I lost the thread with those. Okay. But similarly, I guess as a nod to symmetry, uh, Marvel introduced both, but dispatched Quicksilver early on and kept Scarlet Witch. Right, and this is not uh, unlike how the Thomas Harris universe of like Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and all these things. Like, there those rights are so complicated that I don't think Hannibal Lecter can be mentioned in the upcoming CBS show Clarice. Yes, you know, like I think these these, these characters have actually been bought. The, the sort of um, the intellectual property of the, like certain characters have been bought out of that. So in this case, it's obviously a negotiation between Fox and Disney and Marvel or whatever, but they all have now kind of come to the table. So in the, in the Marvel comics, about 10, 15 years ago, when the writer Brian Bendis was running wild through the entire universe and writing, you know, at least for the era, definitive takes on many of the characters, he created this multi-part epic called House of M in which Scarlet Witch so traumatized by all the terrible things that have happened to her in her life and the realization that her children, who, you know, obviously who play a part in this, were, weren't real, although they're also members of the Young Avengers, so I don't even know where that was continuity-wise, was basically like, there should be no more mutants. Mm-hmm. She said, no more mutants. And her powers are so vast that she immediately depowered 98% of all the mutants in the Marvel Universe. Because it was still the Marvel Universe, like Wolverine was still hanging around. Right. But, you know, a massive 
shift. And part of that, again, behind the scenes machinations had to do with the fact that in the comic books, there was a mandate to diminish X-Men, which had long been the most popular selling book, but Marvel didn't control the rights to X-Men in the movies. So the Avengers became the most important characters. And they introduced this whole other superpower group called the Inhumans to take the place of the X-Men. They even made a TV show. It was a disaster. Now everyone's happy. X-Men are good again. Avengers are good again, all under one corporate umbrella. But what Jason was suggesting was a reverse House of M. Instead of removing mutants from the Marvel Universe, she creates has Scarlet Witch brought them in. Because as we have been saying, it's Evan Peters, who's Quicksilver, and I agree with this, was the best thing from those last Brian Singer movies, is the one who shows up, not Aaron Taylor Johnson. So Um, also there's, you know, we know that this multiverse idea is going to be a major part of the next phase of the Marvel stuff. She's, you know, Elizabeth Olsen, this character, Scarlet Witch is going to be in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is coming out presumably this year. And this would allow them to do a lot of fun stuff with bringing in different actors, like whether it was bringing in Ryan Reynolds, who's, I think they've said that the Deadpool Deadpool movie will be a Marvel movie, like the next Deadpool film will be a Marvel movie. The thing that people have been wondering about is because Elizabeth Olsen let slip this idea that there will be a cameo on WandaVision that is like Mark Hamill level, is that this is that either Ian McKellen or Michael Fassbender will appear as her father, even though... Even though apparently, by the way, I was corrected by fans who are reading more comics than I am. I think Scarlet Witch has been demutanted in the comics. Now they are no longer... So it officially wouldn't it be, canon though, version. in another world, this is your father, right? Maybe. The, right. Can, the canonical comic book version now is that Wanda and Pietro are not Magneto's uh, children. They okay. are not mutants. Okay. That is the new, the, the current can, canonical version. But it doesn't really matter if they're going no, back to do, uh, to do House of M or something like that. I, I don't think that's true, but I, because I don't think that they, what, what I'm sort of getting, I mean, I hope we get to talk to Feige someday. Because the thing that I'm beginning to pick up on, and again, I respect it, is that he seems very playful. Mm -hmm. He's so powerful now and has so many cards to play and has people eating out of his hands that he can just drop some crumbs and enjoy everyone pecking at them for as long as it takes for more crumbs to drop. Falcon and Winter Soldier, which we talked about a moment ago, has people salivating because there's a suggestion that part of it is set in Madripoor which is a fictional Marvel Universe island that's kind of like Singapore, but run by, uh, geographically, I mean, but run by cabals of crime lords. And it has a very deep connection to Wolverine, who's lived there and who went there for the first time with Captain America in the 40s and blah, blah, blah. Meaning, he is at this place right now. Everyone knows he controls the X-Men now. When it's time to deploy what he's going to do with mutants Dude, in the Marvel Universe. people on our universe, Facebook group thought that that space travel commercial during the Super Bowl was a secret Fantastic Four ad. Like, this guy right. so, is like in, he is renting out space in people's heads. And I'm, what, I, what I'm saying is he's not going to show his hand in episode seven of WandaVision. What he's probably going to do is continue to just seed this. There's a multiverse. All of this is possible because we already know from casting that all the movies are canon in a way now, in the same way that all stories and comic books are canon, you can just change your mind or be in a different universe or different dimension. So all of it is real and all of it's happening. Those X-Men movies happened in a universe that someday Falcon and Winter Soldier could adventure into. Sure, why not? But Evan Peters being here now, who? so it's a, it's a slight window. I don't think this is going to be the definitive doorway to the next 10 years of Marvel Entertainment. I just don't. I think it's a fun wink and I think that fun winks are basically what is fueling this entire creative enterprise at the I, moment. I, I think that the the multiverse thing is a little bit of a double-edged sword. Because I, you know, there was also stuff over the weekend where Tom Holland was like, you know, the script for this Spider-Man movie is unlike anything anyone. You know, like again, blah, you, blah. you have to yeah. say that. But there's a difference between the general consumer who goes to the movies and the person who reads tons of comic books. There, there was traditionally a difference between those people. And I think one of the differences is that if I'm a general movie fan and I go to these movies, I expect there to be a degree of consequences, some kind of relatable behavior, a slightly heightened but still 
perceivable relationship between my world and this world. And when you introduce the multiverse, introduce the multiverse, it's cool because Ryan Reynolds can be in this movie or that movie, or you could have two Magnetos, or you could have Hugh Jackman come back as Wolverine and meet the new Wolverine, whoever that winds up being. Probably Timothy Chalamet. Um, Definitely Timothy Chalamet. But does that actually like mean anything outside of what you're talking about? Is it just like the Hollywood version of comic book bullshit, I guess? And do we then lose even the vestiges of what does Batman tell us about like revenge? Yes. <laughs> yes, you've nailed it. That's exactly where we're at with this project. There were many reasons why Endgame was such a successful film on, on almost every level. And, uh, but the reason why it was a successful film on an emotional level was partly what I was alluding to before in that it was like a generation of Bitcoin investors seeing, (laughs) reaping the rewards of their, of their patience and, and intelligent, uh, investment strategy. But it was also because Tony Stark died. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a funeral for that guy. The first time he comes back or the first time Chris Evans changes his mind and de-ages or whatever, the first time maybe you could shake it off. Yeah. Second time you might start to think, that's weird. Third time, nothing matters anymore. And nothing matters anymore is actually a perfectly healthy way to approach reading mainstream comic books because what it's really about, and we talked about it when we talked to Jason about the Jonathan Hickman X-Men that's going on right now, is it's just kind of an opportunity to watch successive generations of brilliantly creative people pick up the ball and dribble it for a while and then they pass it. But they're not dribbling anywhere. so it's like- They're not dribbling anywhere until, like this this is the thing, is that right now this entire fucking industry is fueled by people doing reaction videos being like, I can't believe it. But what happens like the 10th time? What happens if there is a Luke and Grogu spinoff? And it's just like these two guys training. Like, are you going to still be making reaction videos where you're freaking out about this? Is that still special? There is a specialness to these reveals and to these breadcrumbs. If the breadcrumbs don't lead anywhere, or if when you get to the end of the breadcrumb trail, you find out you're the same person you were when you just started engaging with this shit in the first place, like that's not traditionally what we get from storytelling. I get a lot, I've gotten a lot from these superhero stories over the course of my life. I've gotten a lot from Star Wars over the course of my life, but we are doing a little bit of a running in circle. I, I couldn't agree more. I also think that. What the conversation we're having has to have happened multiple times over many years in the Marvel Studios offices. The thing that I always commend Feige and his team for is never dropping the sense of what the shit fun, yeah, you know, that yeah. makes Marvel Comics good. And I think that embracing the inherent silliness of multiverses and multiple Spider-Men and everything is a smart play. The real thing to watch then going forward isn't the kind of fun, flashy, big screen frippery of like, now Doctor Strange has to meet Mrs. Doctor Strange. What will happen now in this universe or whatever it's going to be? It's the Ms. Marvel show. It's what they do with Miles Morales when they introduce him, however they introduce him as a character and as as not the next Spider-Man, as a Spider-Man. Meaning there's opportunity to create younger heroes that could have their own arcs that are untainted by the infinity wars of the past and maybe have something to say. I don't know what that thing is, but it's possible. Similarly, um, Fantastic Four isn't as cool or flashy as X-Men as a property, and it's obviously been done badly on the big screen before. But Feige really tends to know what makes each of these individual properties special and worthwhile. And I think he probably knows that Fantastic Four is a family. It's a family. And it's mm-hmm. a family of adventurers. I, uh, a friend of mine, uh, James Lucas Jones, the publisher of a great indie comics company called Oni, Oni Press, tweeted this over the weekend being like, and I'm sure he's not the only one to say it, but I just noticed him doing it saying, you know, I'm sure the horse is already out of the barn, but Fantastic Four should be a Sunday night TV show, not a movie franchise. It should be a super high budget show that you can watch with your whole family the way you used to watch a show on like ABC at 7 p.m. You know what I mean? And then like, sure. so, so give us something different emotionally or just different in terms of, of what to engage with. Um, look, it's funny because it almost sounds like we're concern trolling 
the most successful entertainment company in the world. We are not. They no. are fine. People want this stuff. And this but is it, there's in more a lot meat of on ways. This is the only too. thing that's on right now in a lot in some ways, and it's the only thing that a lot of people seem to be talking about on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They are exerting their own influence over things. Like this does the the time at which. WandaVision goes up on the service does not work for you and I does not work for most people. It's mm. often spoiled. If you look at Twitter first thing in the morning on a Friday, you'll see like, Oh, like I guess something weird happened on WandaVision. Like I, they are just doing what they want. They don't need our okay on this. Not that anyone does, but I, I am trying to unpack my own response to this. And I'm really not trying to be a dick where I'm like, oh, I don't like this thing that other people like. I do like it. It's just that I like it in a way that isn't the way I usually like things. Yeah, I don't think either of us intend to be the William F. Buckleys of television commentary, standing athwart streaming services, yelling stop. But because everybody's a little nuts right now, because there's not as much stuff out there to watch or respond to or engage with, the it's not just that everyone's talking about it because they should be. It's fun. There's a fun thing to talk about and watch together. We always love that. But the degree to which the, this is trippy and profound has kind of leaked into the actual like mainstream conversation about it. I do feel like it is incumbent on us a little bit to be like, guys, I don't think it's that trippy or profound. Yeah. It's really good, but I don't think it's that trippy or profound. Last point before we wrap up for the day, I want to tell you how I was spoiled about this episode because I tried to be very good. Please do. I avoided... Twitter, for the most part, you know, certainly didn't go on any boards. I know you like to hit the boards, Chris. Once I saw something rumbling, like, oh, there's something big, didn't... Actually, you know what I saw? I saw Jason Concepcion tweet, not going to be tweeting for a while until I watch it. And I was like, if he he's doing it, I better right. not do it. Right. So I backed away. And I knew I couldn't watch the show until uh, Sunday. As many of you know, and also or may remember from at the top of the show when I said I couldn't feel the bottom half of my body, I was very proud yesterday. I ran 10 miles which was a personal goal of mine. Very proud. proud Bragged proud about it too. on Soch. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Bragged about it on Soch. Did you? On Instagram. I was oh, just okay. like, here's here's what I did. And I wrote the truth, which was like, some people, this is a nothing. This is a warm-up lap. For other people, this is like impossible. But for me, it was just, that was the goal I set. And it felt really good. And so people were very nice. And there were a bunch of Instagram replies. And I there were some in the, you don't know these people bin, which I usually don't look at. Yes, you don't. I did. Oh, I do. I try to. I feel like it would be a bad idea, but I, I did this time because my ego was so starved for validation from my big run. Your texts were nice, but I needed a lot more. And what did I say? Golf clap. <laughs> and I was like, this is the level of engagement my own father would give me. I love that. Oh, I appreciate that. Why was I being a fucking prick about it? Because well, I hadn't complimented you on playing golf. Probably because I had been up probably. for 14 hours watching Marvel movies. <laughs> you had James Spader's voice in your head. Anyway, someone was just like, congratulations. Great job, Baranski. Shouts to the person who wrote I don't think dog. I understood that it was such a personal goal for you. I thought you were just like, look, I ran. And I was like, Congra I thought you ran all the time. Yeah, but I never, I'd always been like nine and a half. I never made it. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I'm, I'm now I'm deeply embarrassed. Thank you. Make a big deal about it. That's okay. Now I'm bragging about it in our the beginning of hour two of our podcast. But, and by the way, shouts to the person who wrote Great Jog, Baranski. I thought that was good. Oh, that's fun. But anyway, someone was just like, congratulations, great job. Would love to hear more about it on the podcast. Probably worth discussing re the Quicksilver angle. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, but they didn't know it was Evan Peters. Happy to see his smiling cherubic face. So here we are. What a fun pod today. Uh, let's wrap it up there. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, stay sharp out there. Watch out for the multiverse. You never know what reality you're in. And don't cancel I, Andy. I'd, I'd be willing to, to take, a, take a little field trip to a different reality. I don't think I'm alone. Take care, guys. Great job, Bransky. <laughs>